To get more out of this podcast, head over to Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service where you can get more episodes ad-free and earlier than everybody else, plus bonus content and exclusive series by myself and more than 130 other top-tier educational creators, many of whom I've interviewed on this podcast. You can sign up for Nebula by clicking on the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversations with Joe. You can sign up for Nebula by clicking on the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversations with Joe. It not only helps support the podcast, it furthers our mission of building a platform that focuses on content that matters. Hi there. So I'm coming at you from the wild jungles of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And if you're not from around here or haven't spent much time looking at a map around here, I'm about to show you something that you cannot unsee. This is a map of the major highways in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Take a second to ponder this map. Really take it in. What do you see? If nothing pops out at you, maybe try turning it upside down. Give it a second. Let your mind go. I know it might be hard to spot, but there's, there's a subtle likeness going on here. It looks like something you might have seen before... somewhere. It's a dick. Also known as its proper anatomical term, a penor. Viewers of this channel might notice a certain resemblance to a particular Blue Origin rocket. I don't think this was done on purpose. The fact of the matter is you've got two cities, one a little bit bigger than the other, and it has a lot of traffic going through, so there's a few different highways that are required to, to get all the traffic from one to the other and back and forth. And actually, you know, if, if you expand the map out and include, say, the city of Denton in it, then, well, then it starts to look like something you need to see a doctor about. And this is not the first or only thing about Dallas that looks like male genitalia. One of the most iconic parts of the Dallas skyline is Reunion Tower, sometimes known as the Ball, though living here you might sometimes hear it referred to as the Dallas Phallus. Which again, you might want to see a doctor if yours looks like that. In hindsight though, decorating a city with phalluses is nothing new. Um, I actually visited Pompeii a few years back and that symbol was everywhere. Like, like seriously, it was all over the place. And we still don't totally know why. Uh, some archaeologists suggest that those were brothels or arrows pointing toward brothels because, you know, who doesn't like a little naughty history? But some people think that it may have just been a good luck charm, kind of like a horseshoe today, kind of reflective of the hypermasculinity of Roman society and what good luck they turned out to be. So, I don't know, maybe Dallas and Fort Worth accidentally designed their map to be in the shape of the world's biggest good luck charm. Or maybe we'll get wiped out by a volcano someday. Time will tell. The point of all that is that cities come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, but one size that's never been done before is one ridiculously long line. Until now. If I were to say the word Dubai, you might get images of your head of gleaming spires, over-the-top vanity projects, gold-plated cars, and the kind of opulence that would make Ozymandias blush. You know, something like this. It's a bit much. But it wasn't always like this. For most of its history, Dubai's economy was based around fishing and pearls, until artificial pearls were developed in Japan in the 1950s. This created a bit of a crisis, but their luck turned around in 1966 when up from the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold. Texas tea. They probably don't call it Texas tea in the Middle East. So yeah, oil was discovered and the late Sheikh Rashid bin Saeed Al Maktoum began developing the city. Some of the major projects included the Dubai Dry Docks, the Jebel Ali Port, Rashid Port, and the Dubai World Trade Center. 
and the city's experienced explosive growth over the last half century. Its citizens and tourists are drawn to modern mega-projects like Burj Al Arab, the Palm Islands, and Burj Khalifa, the world's tallest building at 828 meters. And since then, Dubai became the glittering star of the Arabian Peninsula, attracting the rich and famous from all over the world to play in the playground of their dreams. By the way, I feel like a quick geography lesson is in order. Most Americans think of this as Saudi Arabia, but this is the Arabian Peninsula. Saudi Arabia is this part, ringed by Yemen, Oman, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Qatar, or Qatar. Qatar? I'm sorry, no offense to anybody over there, but nobody in the US knows how to say that. An American trying to pronounce a word with a Q in it that doesn't have a U following it is like a Texan trying to drive in the winter. It's just bad things happen, am I right? <laughs> Hey. Yeah, that's fair. Anyway, not to be outdone, Saudi Arabia saw the attention that Dubai was getting with the Burj Khalifa and decided to counter with the Jeddah Tower. Planned to be the centerpiece of Jeddah City in Saudi Arabia, the tower will surpass Burj Khalifa's height by almost 200 meters. That is, when it's completed. Yeah, the construction's been on hold since 2018 due to some labor disputes and then, you know, worldwide pandemic. But yeah, having the tallest building in the world has been the feather in the cap of cities ever since the invention of the skyscraper, and that's not likely to change. But Jeddah Tower is just one part of the kingdom's plans to diversify itself away from an oil-based economy, not just because they want to keep up with Dubai, but also because, I mean, well, the writing's on the wall. So Saudi Arabia's turned to tourism and technology as part of their future strategy. In fact, uh, just recently they started allowing people with US, UK, and Shenzhen visas to visit. This and many other reforms are part of their overarching Vision 2030 project. This project includes $810 billion of investments in culture, entertainment, and leisure developments over the next decade, with a goal to have 100 million visitors to the kingdom by 2030. One of the projects is the Amala, nicknamed the Middle East Riviera, which will feature 2,500 luxury hotel rooms when it's completed in 2028. Another development is the Kidia Project, an entertainment, sports, and arts destination, and the Red Sea Project, which will offer visitors resort holidays, island getaways, and mountain and desert adventures. But there's one project that's received the majority of the investment money. And it's an idea that aims to completely redefine what we think of as a livable and sustainable city. And it's called the Line. The Line, also known as NEOM, which is an acronym for New Future, combining the ancient Greek prefix NEO for new, with the M as an abbreviation for the Arabic word mustakable, which means future. NEOM will be a 25,900 square kilometer city-state located in Saudi Arabia's Tabuk province near Jordan and Egypt. This is a city built from scratch that, if all goes to plan, will be 33 times the size of New York City. And yeah, with $500 billion going into its development, there are some huge plans in place for this city of the future. First of all, the line. Why is it called the line? Well, it's basically because it's literally a 100-mile line. It's meant to house 1 million residents spanning multiple communities and ecologies and connected via an ultra-high-speed transit system underground, similar to a Hyperloop. The city will be powered by 100% renewable energy, with business regulations aiming to promote regenerative and sustainable practices. Developers claim that all your essential daily needs will be within a five-minute walk wherever you happen to be because the city is going to be built around people and not cars. In fact, there will be no cars or traditional roads for that matter. Residents will live on the ground layer amongst open spaces, gardens, parks, and the natural environment. Underground will be a business space layer containing offices, retail, restaurants, and whatnot, and under that will be a transit layer where freight will also move all out of sight. Finally, everything will incorporate artificial intelligence and robotics in order to learn and improve services to businesses and the people living in the communities on the line. According to Joseph Bradley, NEOM's head of technology and digital, quote, we're fundamentally building the world's first cognitive city. 
And powering all this is an operating system called NEOS, which according to Bradley, they want to try to get data from 90% of the people living there in order to optimize their experience of living on the line. More about that in a minute. But as I mentioned, the plan is for the city to be completely renewable and sustainable. Some examples include a desalination facility fully powered by renewable energy that will supply the whole Neom region, plans for recycling 100% of wastewater and using it for irrigation, energy supplied by solar and thermal winds, and plans to use recycled materials in green production and product design technologies for construction and manufacturing. Neom also plans to be an international business and tourism destination. Up to 15 hotels a year are going to be built in Neom between 2023 and 2025, and then after that they're expecting 20 to 30 hotels going up every year. Neom also plans to have sort of an autonomous judicial system that operates outside the framework of Saudi Arabia's sort of famously strict judicial system, the idea being that that'll promote more tourism and allow more businesses to come in. So I'm guessing no public beheading grounds on that pedestrian level. Alright, so all of that is cool, interesting ideas, sure, but uh, we're competing with Dubai here. We're going to have to get a lot crazier than that. Oh, you want to get crazy? Hold my Saudi champagne. Plans for Neom also include an artificial moon, flying drone-powered taxis, glow-in-the-dark beaches, cloud seeding to create rain, holographic teachers to educate students, a security and surveillance system that will use drones, facial recognition technology, and security cameras to constantly track every resident and visitor, robotic servants to clean homes, and a Jurassic Park-inspired attraction with animatronic lizards. Like you do! And if an article from the Wall Street Journal in 2019 is to be believed, there are plans for the company SoftBank to design, quote, a new way of life from birth to death reaching genetic mutations to increase human strength and IQ for residents. I mean, that sounds thorough. I mean, I could see some interesting ideas and, and, and concepts coming out of that, and it might be an interesting experiment and everything, but a city designed to collect data on 90% of its residents and then shape that environment to specifically alter their genes? <sighs> I mean, I guess in a situation like that, you just have to trust that the people who built the operating system have everybody's best interests at heart. I mean, that's, that's the case here, right? That's the case here, right? Well, now might be a good time to talk about the Saudi Crown Prince, Mohammed bin Salman, because this is his baby. He first announced the plans of the Future Investment Initiative in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia in 2017. He said, quote, This project is not a place for any conventional investor. This is a place for dreamers who want to do something in the world. Mohammed bin Salman, who goes by MBS oftentimes, is a fairly popular figure in Saudi Arabia and has been for a few years now, especially amongst the younger generations. Some of the reforms he's done that have put him in a positive light around the world include increasing women's rights, like giving them the right to drive in Saudi Arabia, creating a path for codified laws uh, in, in place, and also just diversifying the kingdom away from an oil-based economy. You know, the world is getting greener and oil's best days are behind it, and that's a good thing for the world, but a bad thing for economies that rely on oil. And this anxiety about what's going to replace oil in their economy has been kind of lingering over Saudi Arabian citizens for years now and what they were clamoring for was somebody with a vision for what things could look like past oil. And MBS stepped up with a vision, that vision is Vision 2030, and it earned him a lot of admirers. Having said that, there are others that would say that he's basically just another Middle Eastern dictator. He's been accused of cracking down on opponents, arresting and torturing activists, and even using famine as a weapon. The kingdom denies all of those, by the way. And he might be forgiven for thinking that all of these reforms are basically just damage control after the murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. Investigations have shown that the Saudi state was responsible for his killing and that Mohammed bin Salman was liable as well. 
Did you order the murder of Jamal Khashoggi? Absolutely not. This was a heinous crime. But I take full responsibility as a leader in Saudi Arabia, especially since it was committed by individuals working for the Saudi government. Now, for the line itself, there's also the small problem that there are already people living there. The Hawaiitat tribe has been living in this region for several generations, and about 20,000 people face evictions for this project. A Hawaiitati activist told The Guardian in 2020, quote, For the Hawaiitat tribe, Neom is being built on our blood, on our bones. It's definitely not for the people living there. It's for tourists, people with money, but not for the original people living there. One tribal member was killed by Saudi security forces after he recorded a video about his eviction. Um, the security forces claimed that he shot at them first. And others in Saudi Arabia claim that the billions of dollars being earmarked for this project would be better spent on cities and towns that already exist. And that is an interesting debate. It is not getting much airplay in Saudi Arabia, though. Uh, critics of the project tend to become silenced one way or another. In fact, Khashoggi was often critical of the Neom project, writing in the Washington Post in 2017, quote, Can we really present a compelling image of a modern society complete with robots, foreigners, and tourists when Saudis many miles from Neom are silenced? Is this truly modern Arabia? So, yeah, MBS has its problems, and the whole project has its problems, and it's a little bit crazy. But, what if it works? I mean, a major business and tourism hub being powered 100% by renewable energy serving as a platform for innovation and lifestyle design? I mean, mobility is going to be a huge thing in the coming years. What kind of lessons could we learn from a city that goes completely carless, without roads, that moves everything underground? I mean, what if it turns out that a line is the perfect way to build a city, but we never knew that because we've never tried it before? And sure, this is a major vanity project, but couldn't that be said about a lot of the major wonders of the world? Massive vanity projects have always been the way that powerful people leave their stamp on the world. It's sort of a way to cheat death, to, to make sure that your name and legacy live on into eternity. Look upon my works, ye mighty in despair. And it's also common for new leaders like MBS to greenlight massive projects to, to boost the economy and pave a way for a better future and, and you know, have something great for their citizens to think of them by. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And it's created wonders that we still appreciate now hundreds, even thousands of years later. Take Paris, for example. Paris is considered to be one of the world's most beautiful cities. It became that way because Napoleon III, nephew of the original Napoleon, wanted the city to be more like London, with grand gardens and parks, tree-lined avenues, and a modern sewage system. The transformation of Paris in the mid-19th century also faced criticism. Many accused George Eugene Haussmann, the man in charge of the renewal program, of using social engineering to destroy areas where the rich and poor mixed and creating new separate areas for the classes. There was also outrage about how much money was spent on the project. In today's terms, it cost around $89 billion. All for the glory of Napoleon III who most of you have never heard of. And while a line might be new, there are plenty of examples of cities that were built around specific shapes. Like Brasilia in Brazil that's shaped like an airplane, Chandragar in India that's designed like the human body, and Copenhagen in Denmark that mimics five fingers. Or the aforementioned Dallas Phallus. As for my take, you know, I, I find some of the ideas behind Neom intriguing. Obviously, I don't like the silencing of criticisms and the displacement of people and all that kind of stuff. And I could see it getting scaled back, maybe being 50 miles instead of 100 miles. And I can see it growing outside of its original plan because that's kind of what cities do. They're organic and they, they kind of grow. But I will say I like the idea of all the freight and transport being moved underground. Um, 
a long time ago, I visited Skywalker Ranch where Lucasfilm was headquartered. And one thing that stood out to me was that all the parking was underground and all the buildings were set up. There were like five or six buildings. They were all set up in such a way that you couldn't see any other buildings. So when you looked out of the building, it was kind of like you were just there in the middle of this beautiful pastoral scenery. So I don't know, this, this kind of makes me think of that. And, and I think if they can make it work, it would be really cool. But seriously, this is an interesting topic. Um, there's a lot to debate here. Uh, do you think it's just ridiculous and dumb? Do you think that there could be some cool innovations that come out of it? Discuss. And if you're the kind of person that feels like you need to take a shower after just hearing about this, because why are we spending that kind of money on a giant vanity project when there are real problems in the world and people that need help? First of all, uh, you're a good person if you think that. Second of all, there is something you can do to make a difference, and that is tab for a cause. Tab for a Cause is a browser extension that will pay a little bit of money to a charity of your choice every time you open a new tab in your browser. Like how many tabs do you have open right now? I'm working on like 30 or so, and every single one of those could be giving a little something to a charity. And here's the best thing, it's not your money. This all comes from ad revenues. So it costs you nothing, takes just minutes to set up, and they've got 10 charities you can choose from, and from that point forward, you're just helping people by doing exactly what you're gonna do anyway. In case you're wondering, this adds up. Altogether, they've raised over $1.2 million for charities. And for Back to School, they're working with the group Room to Read to help 100 kids learn how to read. By the way, this campaign goes from the 25th to the 31st, so if you're watching this on the day that this video comes out, um, you've got literally like one day to do it. So if you're interested, you might wanna get on that. But even if you miss that one, there's plenty of other great charities to choose from. Just pick whichever one you're most interested in. Anyway, it's simple, it costs you nothing, and it makes a difference. So uh, if you're interested in it, just take a look at the link that's right here on screen. You can go there, or I'll put a link down in the description. Go check it out. Big thanks to Tab for a Cause for supporting this video, and a huge shout out to the Answer Files on Patreon that are forming an awesome community, doing cool stuff together, and just helping me out quite a bit. I do appreciate you guys. There's some new members. I gotta murder their names real quick. We've got Joshua Clark, Reese Darren Bainbridge, Linda Browning, Justin Littleburn, Daniel O'Brien, Wreckage Writer, Nurse Diane, Dave It, <laughs> Syntax, Mark Hoffman, Do Joanna Easton, Dave, and John Bance. That might be the smoothest one of those I've ever done. Uh, thank you guys for joining. If you would like to join them, get early access to videos, get exclusive Patreon content, you can go to patreon.com slash answerswithjoe. As always, please like and share this video if you liked it. And if you're the first time seeing this, um, maybe go check this one out because Google thinks that you might like this one or any of the others down there that have my little face on the thumbnails. Uh, and if you enjoy them and you like what I do, please, I invite you to subscribe. I come back with videos every Monday. And a quick apology for any names and words that I might have mispronounced in this video. I'm sure I did it plenty of times, but uh, thank you guys for watching. Uh, go out there, have an eye-opening rest of the week, and I'll see you next Monday. Love you guys. Take care.